one of my only security information security lecturers at university. He was working for the Nigerian government for a period of time. So he was over there working, doing information security stuff. He was a professional, very good at what he does. And he was moving from, uh, from Nigeria back to New Zealand and skipping over a whole bunch of details. He had a bank account set up somewhere. He was getting paid in Nigeria, sending all the stuff over to another international bank account. And then when he moved to New Zealand, wanted to get a house deposit and he transferred all of his cash over. He looked at his bank balance and wondered why there was 14 cents in his account. What turned out happening is he was the victim of a man in the middle attack where essentially a lot of the information that he was saying to verify his bank account, all that kind of stuff that was being interrupted by a third party who are then forwarding that onto his bank, essentially acting as a proxy. And they were taking all the information, changing certain figures and bank accounts within the email. What saved him? And this is where, this is the kind of level that you need to be at to, to be able to understand these things. When he was, negotiating with his bank and setting up transfers and that kind of thing he said only make a transfer if you provide a four digit pin this is the four digit pin only make transfers when this happens he did not provide the four digit pin when he was making that transaction and neither did this nefarious party who were communicating with the bank so what ended up happening was the bank were then liable because that was part of his contract uh for the transfer because they didn't authenticate the pin so he managed to get all of his house deposit back if that had been anyone else if that had been me if that had been like goodbye house deposit all of that hard work gone so when you're thinking about taking your internet security flippantly please don't be very aware of what you're doing online especially when it comes to online banking and everything else so please be careful Does your workforce have the skills necessary to protect against cyber threats? Attend an exclusive webinar on Tuesday, April 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern to prepare your workforce to adapt to emerging threats. Visit skillsoft.com events to save your spot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Stack Overflow podcast. My name is Matt Kianander. I'm a technical advocate here at Stack Overflow. I'm joined again by my two wonderful co-hosts, Sierra and Cassidy. Please introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Apollo GraphQL. I'm Cassidy. I am head of developer experience and education at Remote. We have some actually some really exciting topics to talk about today. We're going to be talking about uh, New Relic achieving pay equity some pay transparency and everything involved with that. Okta had a bit of a boo-boo with a laptop that caused some grief. And we also have potentially the most interesting thing I've seen in a very long time, an AI that produces some wildly good generative art. So first of all, let's talk about New Relic achieving pay equity. Yeah, I ran across this article um, today. It is from New Relic. It's about how they were able to achieve um, pay equity for all of their employees. Um, their pay scale is now based off of, I believe the article mentions it's based off of um, location, your like experience, and um, it's done in this way to make sure that no one is basically being uh, cheated out of making more or less money or less 
being cheated out of making more money is the way I should say it. Um, I'm sure everyone is aware that there is a huge pay gap problem between men and women. And also um, when you factor in other people of minority backgrounds, like being a person of color or black or what have you. So they've been making an effort over um, a certain period of time to kind of correct this issue. And they talk about in the article, their chief of people and diversity officer, she kind of talks about um, how they were able to like even figure out what what the right way to go about achieving pay equity is and how they're going to maintain that in the future. Because obviously the market is constantly changing. Um, cost of living is constantly changing. So salaries are not going to be a stagnant thing. So it's going to be something that, you know, as an organization, you'll have to continuously commit to. But I thought it was very fitting, especially since, you know, March is Women's History Month. And this is when we're filming, we're recording, I should say, this episode. So, yeah, I think it's a very relevant topic right now. Always, honestly, but especially now. Yeah, it's one of those topics that's very evergreen. And I'm really glad that they're doing this. I think it's something that a lot of companies should be doing where, first of all, pay equity across gender, across race, across all all kinds of different elements of intersectionality. But I also think just across the board at companies in general, that's something that they're not very good at. You see companies all the time where they are fighting for talent because right now the, the job market is very, very hot. But then the people that are already at the company don't get the raises that they should be getting to be on par with the new hires. Um, and it's it's a very funky problem that I'm sure us as people who don't necessarily determine who get paid at, at any uh, given job, we're just like, this is easy. Just do it. I'm sure it's a harder problem than it sounds. <laughs> but I'm yeah. I'm glad to see that New Relic is moving in the right direction with this. Yeah, yeah. And the way she describes it, it definitely wasn't like a straightforward process, which that's why I enjoyed this article, because she talks about like the process of how they even establish what the standard of pay equity even is in the first mm -hmm. place. Um, Because like when you state the problem, it does seem like a straightforward answer, like just pay every everybody the same thing, whatever. Um, But they even went, they can, they hired on a consultant agency that like, deals with this specific problem which i thought was a very like you know it shows that they really feel like this issue is important and yeah i do think it's a problem that not just like tech jobs have a lot of companies see women's history month as like a time to to do good pr right and like prove that we value our female employees whatever whatever and so they'll tweet out these like posts about like we celebrate happy women's history month there's a twitter bot out there that will basically quote tweet these tweets of like Happy Women's History Month. We value diversity and we value our female employees. And they'll like actually tweet out whatever their gender pay gap is. And it was really interesting to see that like a bunch of companies had these huge gaps, 15%, sometimes higher. And it was like huge yeah, gaps, embarrassing gaps. Yeah, like gaps. to the point wow. where it was like, how could you even post this? Um, and most of the companies were based out of the UK, I believe. But it was just very eye opening to see like, I think we're very hush-hush about, like, salaries in a lot of places, which, you know, it's understandable because people want to be, you know, they want their privacy. But at the same time, it makes you, you don't even realize how how much the difference is. And it could be someone that has either as much experience as you or less, same title or lower. And because they're a man, they get paid more. 
and you don't even know you don't even realize and that twitter bot with me seeing those yeah. tweets on my feed was like very eye-opening to how big a problem this is in some places one of the things that frustrates me about this whole thing is that i don't think your your net worth or your your salary compensation at the end of the day should be dictated by how good of a negotiator you are yes you know like the value that you bring to the company yeah. should be that value as opposed to how well you played off another company during the interview process and you know who your manager happened to be at the time all the all these kind of things first of all negotiating is totally nerve-wracking and i know that like many people listening can probably relate to this i always lowball myself for everything whether it's like how much i should be getting paid to speak at a conference um, how much I should be getting paid by such and such organization to write a blog post, how much I should be getting paid at my job. Like, I always think like probably numbers on the lower end. And one thing that has helped me is like asking people like who have been in positions that you're trying to aim for or who do work that you're aiming for, like how much would you charge for like to give a talk at a conference? Mm -hmm. And the numbers people tell me are like baffling. Like their numbers, I would never like never even imagined to, to even utter. <laughs> and it's just yeah. um, that that kind of, to me, exemplifies why leaving how much you make up to negotiation isn't always the best thing because everyone's work, like depending on the job that you do and the level that you're at, it's pretty much worth the same. But what you think you're worth is going to be different, especially depending on what your background has been, what, you, what your identity is, all those kind of things. So leaving it up to how I perceive my personal value is not going to be a great thing for me because I'm going to say something that I might say something that's lower if I don't like keep in mind to ask somebody if that makes sense. Right. A lack of transparency only benefits the companies. It doesn't benefit the employee. And and so if you can talk about it, it's so, so useful. I I know so many women in particular who didn't realize they were being underpaid until they talked with a coworker at their same level or or something and they were realizing they were getting paid some some people in like the five digits and more being underpaid and and it's oh it's infuriating it it it, it grinds my gears to see that but and and similarly Sierra there have been so many times where I just reach out saying hey I'm thinking about speaking at this event and I don't know how much to ask for. And then the person gives me a number that blows my mind. I remember specifically, I talked with Kimberly Bryant of Black Girls Code. She is awesome. And I said, hey, I know that you spoke at this event. I'd love to talk with you about like how much I should ask for the pay comp because they asked me and I don't know what to say. And she gave me a number that added two zeros and doubled it. <laughs> and, and I was just like, I, I should ask for what? What? And 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 she was just like, Cassidy, don't even consider that low of a number. Are you kidding me? But I had no idea. And you don't know until you ask. Regarding relying on negotiating to get your like decide what your salary will be, um, I came across this other post from Fast Company that is talking about how um in some states companies will be required to post salary range for their like based off of area in their job postings. Um, and there's been a lot of mixed response to this because some people realize that this will limit your ability to negotiate if there's like a standard benchmark for how much you're supposed to make in such and such position. There have also apparently been a lot of companies that have been 
um, trying to fight this move in certain states. The one that they talk about is, uh, or not state, but city, New York City, is soon going to require that all companies give the salary for the position that they're posting for. Um, and I just wanted to hear kind of what your thoughts would be, would, would be on this, because in my mind, I think it's a good idea. Like, I don't know if you've ever been through an interview process where it takes you like two or three interviews to figure out what the salary range is for the position when yep. you could have just known that before you <laughs> even applied. Like, you know, and you would have known from the like from the gate if that was something you would be interested in or something that would be a good fit for you. And now you wasted all this time researching, preparing just to find out that like this could never work because they don't have the budget for you. Um, so. And with that in mind, I feel like having salaries on job postings would be a good idea. Once again, I think that a lack of transparency only really benefits companies and not so much employees. Yeah. What I like about it in particular is that you don't have to be reliant on negotiating in order to get compensated fairly. And I remember I interviewed with a company once where they gave me two job offers and they said, okay, these are your two options. You can get one with more equity or one with a higher salary. You can you can pick how you want to balance it. And when I mentioned negotiating, they said, in order to keep things fair, we don't negotiate. These are just the options. And then everybody gets vetted across the board fairly. And we try to do this to maintain equity. And I thought that was really, really great. It not only saves me the stress of negotiating in general, but also it was so transparent that I was able to be just like, oh, that's great. Awesome. I don't have to deal with this type of uh, negotiating stuff and, and conversations. And I wish some companies as well would have that said up front. So you know, when you're going into the interview process, you're going to be getting that one offer. And that is that is that I feel like I would be much more inclined to apply to a company that was transparent around that as opposed to one where you have to go through several different emails and can we adjust equity here? Can we total compensation here? What about benefits? All that kind of stuff. I, I agree that I'd be very interested to hear from others who would argue against pay transparency or those that kind of bracketing. It kind of reminds me of like the whole debate between like, do we pay based on location or do we pay based on labor that's done? Um, that's a totally... I think that's a factor in this too, because would you list job? Like, I guess that companies would list salaries based off of wherever the company is incorporated or based out of, um, which wildly differs. So like for me in Philadelphia, obviously the cost of living is not nearly as high as it is in San Francisco. Um, so I'm wondering how this is going to play out in actuality. Like, is it one of those things that sounds great in theory, but if I'm applying for such and such San Francisco company and I'm like, wow, that salary sounds great. And then they're like, oh, you're from Philly. Like, we can't pay you that much. You know what I mean? I wonder how that's going to look as well, because that definitely is a factor, especially now that most tech companies are remote. Remote culture is a huge thing. People can work from anywhere. So how is that going to affect salaries as well? And then how is that going to affect salary transparency and job posting as well? Any thoughts on that? There, there's so many factors to it where I understand why companies do location-based pay, but I also don't necessarily know how to solve it while still being fair to as many people as possible. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I guess if you, if you were to take two employees and one of them was living in San Fran and one of them was living in a lower cost of uh, living city... Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, even though you're doing the same work, 
one of you is taking home a lot more income than the other simply because of, of your location difference. And I can understand how that would then be, you know, the person in San Fran will be like, well, we're doing the same work, but because I'm based here, whether that's through choice or not, I'm not actually earning as much. My earning power is a lot less. It's I, there, I think there are so many different variables here that you can argue for and against. I have no idea which one is in the right. It's I think that's probably going to be something that is going to be worked over for the next. Unfortunately, month. we can't solve the world's problems on this podcast. <laughs> what? Not in a half Weird. hour podcast? <laughs> <laughs> when a recruiter says, do you have any salary expectations or what's a range that you expect for the role? How do you respond? I, I typically try and fire back. There's a really good article that, that went, I'm not saying this had cult status, but it, it went viral. It was somebody who was negotiating with Airbnb, Google, Facebook, and a few others. I, I can't remember the name, but I will drop the link in the show notes below. And he was basically showing his his negotiation process and how he leveraged the office. And he I think he got it up from like 120 initial offer to 300,000 at Snapchat Whoa, or Airbnb wow. or something like <laughs> that. And he that's it's a multi-page essay of exactly what he did, the strategies that he took, scripts that you can use for when an, a recruiter asks you what is your what is your salary expectations. I think the one thing that I picked up from that is typically an easy way to fire back from that is to say, well, what is your budget? What is the range for the role? And then right. that yeah. puts the recruiter on the back foot. And you, you basically do this dance to see who anchors first. It sucks that you have to go and learn all of this stuff as somebody who just wants to build things, <laughs> but it, it is important to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, that kind of my tactic, which isn't a good one, is just to say something that's slightly higher than what my current salary is, which probably yeah. isn't <laughs> going to get me the most money, to be honest. But I've also heard a lot of people. Um, that's a common one. Yeah. A lot of people will ask the like, let me answer your question with another question. What's the what's the range that you had in mind? I'm always too scared to do that, though. Straight up, like super okay. nervous. I'm I hate the idea of negotiating in the back of my mind. I'm always like, they're going to be like, who does she think she is? You know what? Never mind. We don't want you anymore because you thought you had the, the <laughs> you had the audacity to ask for more money. And I'll just be like, wait, no, I need a job. That's always like running in the back of my mind. So I'm really not a big fan of me negotiating. I think it's cool that some people have the guts to do it and like end up getting themselves way more money than they would have otherwise. Um, but I'm just so terrified of doing it. The most confident response I've ever given to a company who asked that, and I was like shaking, but I did it, was I trust you to pay me fairly. And if you give me a good offer, an offer that I can't refuse, I won't refuse it. I don't want to have to negotiate and do the back and forth dance. So pay me fairly and we don't have to worry about that. Amazing. It 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 generally worked, so it was fine, but that that's probably the most confident Ooh. I've ever been in one of those conversations. We have one more topic to cover today. That is a bit of a security boo-boo that happened over at Okta. Cassidy, you're very excited to talk about this. So why don't you jump in and introduce the topic? Oh heavens. Are we in <laughs> trouble? We don't know. As of today, it has been announced that Okta, the single sign-on solution, was hacked. And not only was it hacked, it was hacked a long time ago. And so at the time of recording, we're at in towards the end of March, and the hackers have had access to Okta and 
all of the softwares and stuff connected to it for about two months, which is bad. And it's bad for two reasons, where one, it could be that Okta didn't tell anybody that they were hacked, or two, Okta didn't know that they were hacked. Both of those are very, very bad things that we need to figure out. And for those who don't know what single sign-on is, that means that if you have Okta enabled in your organization, you can sign into your email, Figma, GitLab, Docs, and, and other various tools. Pretty much any tool your company uses could probably be enabled with Okta. And so if you have your Okta hacked, which is everybody who uses Okta, they might have access to all the employee records, emails, contents, everything. It's not great. There is an updated statement from Okta, which I just found. Their their statement or their stance as of March 22, 2022, is that the Okta service has not been breached and remains fully operational. There are no corrective actions that need to be taken by customers. Oh. Huh. Which was different from the earlier report, which said that a laptop was stolen by a certain organization. Okta are claiming that the laptop in question that, that was compromised was one for support engineers who do have access to limited data. For example, Jira tickets and lists of users that were seen in screenshots. Uh, they're also able to facilitate the resetting of passwords and multi-factor authentication for users, but are unable to attain passwords. On the other side of the fence of the nefarious folks, they're saying this wasn't a support laptop. This was something that actually had access to a whole bunch of other things. I can't tell what's real because if you look at the yeah. article, <laughs> which we have linked in the show notes in The Verge, yeah. they have Okta's statement saying, like you say, that it was very limited. But then a half hour later, the hacker group says, oh no, we had access to more than that. And also showing like AWS keys and contents oh. and Slack channels and stuff. So yeah, not once good. again, I don't know how real things are, but it's nerve wracking. Security is a scary thing. It's not taken as seriously as it should be by a lot of companies and the the, infra the resources and understanding of it from a, a general technology perspective isn't quite baked into the standard workflow of getting things done, which is a bit terrifying. Yeah, I also feel like the um, the level of knowledge you need to do security well is just like so, it's just so much that I think that prevents a lot of people, like even on an individual level, from doing things that are safe, cyber safe, if that's a phrase I can use. Um, and just multiply that a million times the bigger the organization is, right? So like, yeah. I think it's a huge issue and I think that we're totally unequipped to deal with it, unfortunately. And I'm not a security person, so I have no idea like what's the best solution to like prevent stuff like this happening. Like there's a security breach like every couple months for different stuff all the times from stuff like this to your, you know, one of your credit card companies or your bank app or something getting hacked or something like that. Like this kind of stuff happens so often. Um, and I really don't know what the good solution for it is. Like, I, I'm sure this isn't something we just have to deal with moving forward. Like, we just have to put up with the fact that we're just going to have a couple hacks happening every now and then. 
right? Yeah, it's it's tough too because like sometimes it's affecting just big organizations and you have to just hope they don't have your data. But I think the very real issues are when it affects people who don't know how to protect themselves from that, where even, for example, this past weekend, I was talking with my parents and I was telling them how to enable two-factor authentication on sub stuff. And luckily they already had that set up with, with some things, but someone they knew their bank account was hacked into because they used a weak password just this past weekend. And they were freaking out because they didn't know about this type of basic personal security stuff. And then on top of that, with things getting hacked into, then I have to answer these questions for, again, my parents, various people in my life who aren't tech savvy. And, and I'm sure this is something that a lot of tech people have to do, figure out how to explain in layman's terms, here's how you protect yourself. People will always be hacking and and you all you can do is is put together these these best practices. I have a wild story. One of my only security information security lecturers at university, he was working for the Nigerian government for a period of time. So he was over there working doing information security stuff. He was a professional, very good at what he does, and he was moving from uh, from Nigeria back to New Zealand, and skipping over a whole bunch of details he had a bank account set up somewhere he was getting paid in nigeria sending all this stuff over to another international bank account and then when he moved to new zealand wanted to get a house deposit and <clears throat> he transferred all of his cash over he looked at his bank balance and wondered why there was 14 cents in his account what turned out happening is he was the victim of a man in the middle attack where essentially a lot of the information that he was saying to verify his bank account, all that kind of stuff, that was being interrupted by a third party who are then forwarding that onto his bank, essentially acting as a proxy. And they were taking all the information, changing certain figures and bank accounts within the email. What saved him, and this is where, this is the kind of level that you need to be at to, to be able to understand these things. When he was negotiating with his bank and setting up transfers and that kind of thing he said only make a transfer if you provide a four-digit pin this is the four-digit pin only make transfers when this happens he did not provide the four-digit pin when he was making that transaction and neither did this nefarious party who were communicating with the bank so what ended up happening was the bank were then liable because that was part of his contract uh, for the transfer because they didn't authenticate the PIN. So he managed to get all of his house deposit back. If that had been anyone else, if that had been me, if that had been like goodbye house deposit, all of that hard work gone. So when you're thinking about taking your internet security flippantly, please don't. Be very aware of what you're doing online, especially when it comes to online banking and everything else. So please be careful. Okay, so that wraps up the topics we have for today. We'll move on to the recommendation section as well as the lifeboat. Cassidy, do you have a recommendation for us today? I do. So I have been playing around with this AI bot called Midjourney. Um, and you can find their Twitter. It's, it's Midjourney, like M-I-D and then the word journey. And it's a research lab around just generating images from certain keywords and descriptions. And 
we've all seen AI generated things before where, where you might have like a cat with 12 eyes or something and it looks a little creepy, um, which it does that. But at the same time, it makes some really interesting things. And I have been able to generate some art that is like, I don't want to say museum quality, but it kind of is nice, nice enough that I would, I would hang it up in my house. It, it has been really, really cool. And if you check out their Twitter, you could see throughout their account what people have been experimenting with and what people have been making. And it has been really, really interesting to play around with. So that is what I recommend people check out. I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring, like a lot of the internet recently. And oh, gosh, I everybody. absolutely adore it. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, could you, yeah, just could you describe what the game is? Like, is it an RPG? Is it roguelike? What, what is it? It's an exercise in patience because you die at least once every five <laughs> minutes or so. It's it's a it's a high fantasy kind of setting set in an open world. You've got a whole variety of really just weird stuff going on. You'll talk to a pot called Alexander, who is an infamous warrior, and then you'll speak to somebody else who looks like they're kind of like a centipede sitting on a table with giving you prophecies and there's there's all sorts of like really interesting weapons and characters and stories like there's no quest log for instance so if you meet somebody within the world you need to write down in a physical journal or a notepad what it is they said what they want you to do and where it is that you need to go back to see them it's it's a very kind of like a mixture of like old school um old school exploration but they've also it's part of the souls genre if anyone is familiar with that and i i can't really do a good i can't explain it terribly well but it involves a lot of dying you mimic <laughs> your characters you have certain builds <laughs> with magic and all that kind of fun stuff if you like breath of the wild and you're wanting something i guess slightly more adult then ah. i would highly recommend checking this out now you're speaking my language i'm like officially you, a game yeah, right now. breath of the wild i'm listening yeah i should have huh. i should have led with that pitch <laughs> moving on we're going to do our lifeboat and lifeboat for those of you who don't know is an answer score of 20 or more to a question score of negative three or less that goes on to receive a score of three or more today's lifeboat is awarded to s-u-b-h-a-j-i-t who answered the question send an html and email via php thank you very much for your contribution contribution to the platform and I think that wraps up the episode for today. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. My name is Matt Kiananda. I'm a technical advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online at Matt Kanda, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R. My name is Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate, like I said earlier, at ApolographQL. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm back to spending too much time there. My username there is Sierio, that's C-E-E-O-R-E-O -E -E underscore. And I'm Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, -O, on most things. Thank you very much for listening in, tuning in, watching, and we hope to see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.